And so I'm going to ask you a question question this morning. We put it up on the screen. Life is fill in the blank. What would you put in your blank? How would you, how would you answer that? And if, that, if you were along the way, we would come up with various, uh, you know, answers uh, of attention. There would be attention. There would be some people that would say, you know, life is good. And then for others, it would be life is fun. There would be some people that would say that life is fulfilling. And then sometimes we would feel like life is not fulfilling. It's great. You know, life is, is, is love and life is lonely. We would have these very intentions and experiences. So how do we find meaning? When those things are going in the way. And that's, that's the question. How do we find meaning in life? And how do we fill in this life with something that gives us a sense of worth and significance? Well, if you look at the passage today, we're going to explore four questions that Solomon wrestled with, and, and he says for meaning, and I think they're four questions that will help us in our search for meaning. The first question I'm going to give to you is, can anything in creation be satisfied? Can anything in creation be satisfied? Where do you see this? Verses 4 and following. It says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to its place where it rises. And the wind blows to the south and then it goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And there seems all things seem to be full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing we understand. And all of this, he's looking at all of creation, and he's seeing this growing for meaning and purpose. Right? He starts off and he looks at a generation comes and a generation goes. People come, people go. It's like this life cycle keeps going on and on and on. And as far back as I can research, I'm finding this question of meaning. As far forward as I can see and perceive, I'm seeing people wrestling with this question of meaning. It's like people come and people go. We live, we die. New people live, new people die. And the cycle goes on and on and on. When will it be enough? When will it have a sense of meaning? When will it have a sense of purpose? And it says you can even look at it in creation. It's just like the sun. It rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. So it's like the sun has a perpetual cycle to it. It rises in one place, it sets in another, and it hastens. It works, it labors, it toils to get right back to where it started again, only to repeat the cycle over and over and over again. And he goes on, it's just like the wind, it blows to the south. And then it goes around to the north, and around and around it goes, and on its circuit, the wind returns. It's like everything just kind of has this continual cycle in this morning. And, and it's like life is, is like the wind. We're, we're trying to chase after the wind. We're trying to grab hold of the wind. We're trying to embrace the wind. But the truth is, you can only run with the wind. You can't grab it. You can't hold it. And life just seems to be something that you go with the flow wherever it takes you. Where's the meaning in that? He's asking. 
And then it says, it's just like the stream. It's like the ice caps on the mountains and you know, create streams. The stream flows into rivers, rivers flow into the ocean, and yet the ocean is never full. It's just like life. We can take in the best and the greatest heights of everything. We can enjoy the incredible lush valleys and meadows, and we can take in all of this nourishment and never feel satisfied. No matter what we have, it's never enough. It's just like the ocean. It's insatiable. And then he turns around and he brings it right down to the experience. In verse 8, all things are full of weariness, and man cannot have it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with seeing. He's like, everywhere I look, everywhere I see, is nothing there. This desire to find meaning to be satisfied. And yet we seem to live in this tension of trying to be content but yet wanting to do something significant and never find a way for those two words to meet. You ever thought like that? Yeah, I I want you to see just how deep the clothes, this word weariness in verse 8. I want you to start to remember that. It's the idea of just being drained and exhausted. It's the same Hebrew word that we see in verse 4, or in verse 5, I mean, where it talks about the sun hastening back to its place. It's this, this incredible, you know, weight and this weariness, this, this panting of you. The hasting means that you have labored and toiled so hard that you are out of breath. You are just sick. The sun sends itself getting back to its place, only to repeat itself again, completely drained, and it's just like us. We spend ourselves to the point that we're weary. We're out of grief. And we're out of energy. And yet we have to repeat it all over again. That sounds really cynical and like a big downer, but this is what he's doing. He's looking at life, trying to find meaning. He's looking at the natural world, and he's looking at his individual existence, and he is not finding a way to connect with meaning. And I think this is why our culture is so struggling with this, because we live in a very individualistic culture. We like to talk community, we like to brag about community, we crave community, but none of us really know how to build it. We feel more lonely than we've ever felt in a generation, and we have more tools to connect. And yet it doesn't bridge the gap. And I think it's because our individualism gets in the way. And the truth is, you're not going to find true community by looking for it. Community is found by building it. And that means that you're stepping outside of yourself, and everybody doesn't have to agree with you, and doesn't have to align up with you, and doesn't have to. The way that you grow and mature as a person is you interact with people that are vastly different than you. Other than that, the world is really small. And you just stay on it, and it's never quite right. I'm going to end up with all of his force, all of his education, all of his power, he was at the top, and he's probably wrong. And it's set him asking this question can anyone, can anything, include the sexual? See, how can 
you find satisfaction in the created world where God, we learn in the book of Romans, has subjected creation to utility. See, God created heavens and earth. Everything perfectly reflected God's goodness and His care for humanity. Humanity enjoyed God with that same thing, no separation. There was no quest for significance. There was no idea of insecurity. Man was perfectly provided for, cared for, loved, and he knew his relationship with um, between man and woman were, were secure, and they were, there was there no sin. There was no sin. There was no sin. People were able to be vulnerable and be themselves without any pressure or discomfort. And this is what the gospel is. So, what do you identify with you? You connect with me. You let me be the one that sets the purpose. And that's how this plays out. This is what you want to do. But the community says, no, we like our version better. Let's try it out again. What if we made that decision of what you want to do? Let's know that you're good at evil and we operate under that. What if it is to make the separation case? Insecurity flowed on hearts, comparison, blame, shame, guilt, you name it, and it is worse. And God allowed that to exist. And while He allowed that to exist, He also inserted Himself into humanity to show us that He can restore that brokenness. He can call us out of all that insecurity, shame, and guilt, and to be restored to a relationship where we're not wondering where our position is with God. We're not having to compare ourselves to another human being. We can actually be at peace with ourselves, at peace with God, and have that relationship restored. Like it will feel, we're feeling tempting because we live on the planet of 8 billion people that are still wrestling with the idea. So if you try to find meaning apart from God, in all of nature, the whole idea of universalistic faith or spiritualism will come up. So much fun. And you can't thank you. The second question that we wrestled with was will something new satisfy? Will something new satisfy? Let's look at this in verses 9 through 11. Let me just say this. What is there is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. So he starts saying, listen, you know, things in the past and happened, they're going to run this cycle, they're going to come back again, right? Just like 80 haircuts and 80 clothes. And it looks, I mean, I'm feeling that totally with the way current people are dressing this. Like, that sounds like my people, right? So just like fashion and, and the idea of retro becomes in vogue again. He's saying that this happens. He also turns around and says, what has been done will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. It's like, listen, anything new that we bring to the table really isn't new. It's a variation of something that's already happened. There's nothing new under the sun. What he's saying is, is that no matter how new things may feel, there, there's always this rooting back into something that has been a part of the human experience. And he said, is there a thing of which is instead, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. So what he's talking about is like, is it, maybe something new will satisfy. He entered into that and he came to this conclusion. There's nothing new. 
And it was just that me being satisfied, there's not really anything that's new. That was the conclusion we came to. So see, is there anything new, any idea, any philosophy, any technology that will help us find the answers that we're looking for, that somehow will give us the sense of meaning that, that the generation didn't have? Because we live in a culture of upgrades. We, we pursue everything new. With technology, it's brought all of these possibilities of advancement. Right? It's like the idea of technology. It's supposed to help us communicate. We should be closer together. But the truth is, is that communication has always existed, and communication among humans has always been stressful. All we've done is we've taken what's been stressful and sometimes positive, and we put it on demand on our phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We get no way and no chance of unfunding for it. A constantly money is good or not A constant reminder of what other people seem to be hoping that we don't have, and a constant reminder of what we're longing for that just takes the need to Is there anything new? No. And here's why. Because no matter where you live on the planet, no matter if it's a developing country or a developed country, no matter what your education level is, no matter what your age is, everybody is wrestling with a handful of questions. They're universal. Why am I here? Everybody at some level wrestles with that question. Why am I here? Another question you wrestle with why are things the way they are? Why is it that there's good and bad? Why is it that sometimes good people get bad and bad people get good? Why? Why are things the way they are? Why is the world broken? Why is it not always good? Next question you wrestle with what gets done about it? What do we do about it? What, what's the solution? And then the fourth question is, is the future actually going to be better? Our desire is for something better, to create better, to experience better, to be better. All people. All people. All places. Wrestling with existence. This is beautiful view. And everybody's got an instinct. And Solomon's like, well, maybe all of the things that I've experienced and all of the stories I've read about and all of the train wrecks of lies that I've experienced, maybe if there's something new, maybe there's just a new way to approach these eight-old questions. And he tried. And he came up and said, listen, it's not really new. It hasn't really listened to anything. And this is where it seems to in his experience. The culture of upgrade was never meant. You know, so many of us live our lives thinking, if I could just be in the right place at the right time, with the right job, in the right relationship, then I feel weird. And the problem is, you're going to achieve and you're going to succeed, and you'll get there, and you're going to realize that even there, there's problems. They're going to be new problems with that new job. They're going to be new problems with that new clothes. They're going to be new problems with that new phone. They're going to be new problems with that new style. And you're going to come right back to those same four questions. Why? What's the point? Why are things the way they are? What do I do about it? And what will my future look like? There's nothing really new under the sun, and that is the wisdom that's following the people. 
in verse 11, he said there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things left at home. There's always the next new thing. And what you think you have found, you'll run up against it not fast enough. It's being new that it always comes. It's always in the world. And we close the same thing. And before long, we have a whole lot of new things and whole story of things that we have found. Third question that we have from Wednesday is from exploring everything under the sun. So it's like, okay, maybe it's not anything new. Maybe it's just an experience in this life. Maybe, maybe I'm missing out somewhere. Maybe, maybe my faith or maybe the way I'm living my life and my wealth and my education is preventing me and I'm close-minded. Maybe I don't cut loose enough and this is the experience. This is what's next, right? So he, he goes on in verses 12 to 14. He starts to entertain that question. He says, I'm the preacher. Uh, let me explain this. The book of Ecclesiastes comes from a word that means gathering in Hebrew. It's the idea of bringing people together. Preacher means messenger. And so he's like, listen, I'm speaking to anybody that will listen. He says, I'm the preacher I'm speaking to has been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to speak and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now notice he said that he didn't just apply his mind, but he applied his heart. Everything that he was doing, his whole life, he was all in. And he wants to understand everything that is done under heaven. And he says, what I realize is that it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And I've seen everything that, is, that, that has been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What's the thing I'm supposed to say? He's just all in for all knowledge. He's like, man, I'm just going to spare my worldview. I'm going to throw my faith out the window and everything, and I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and I'm just going to. Take in all this information and I'm just going to let it flood my heart and I'm going to try to understand how people live, what their experience is, and maybe there I'll find meaning. Somebody else has pieces, and maybe groups of people have pieces where I can live together and communicate this incredible thing. And he says, so he goes on this journey of knowledge and intellect, and then he calls everybody together in this assembly and says, Listen, I got a message for you. That's vanity. It's too connected. You can only run with it, but you're not going to pass it. You're not going to find it. You can just go with it and you can see where it leads you, but you're going to come out to a place where it's really, it's, it's a waste of time. Think about that for a second. I mean, a culture that values knowledge and development. Why do we still keep coming up empty? It's a mystery. All human knowledge is really in human experience, and all human experience is really in its tension. That works for Broken people are looking for broken people for answers to fix their problems so that they're no longer broken. 
Yeah. 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 Further we wade into these systematic problems, the deeper we dig into these experiences, the more information and knowledge they get, the more frustrating it gets. Where does he end up? He says in verse, in verse 15, it says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He turns around and says, No matter how good the intentions are, no matter how great the efforts are, no matter how noble the person that's doing it, it always seems to go crooked. It always gets better on stage. It's like this bit to destruction. It's like something that has this incredible promise ultimately ends up in the gutter. It's a mess. It ends up crippled. And, and what ultimately should be satisfying for Philly ultimately ends up being empty. It's lacking. And it's this incredible life. Because no matter what I've applied myself to, I still run up into this question of not feeling satisfied, not having meaning. Isn't it so true in our conversations politically now about racism? What we're hearing is that there's a tension, there's a problem, there's a hurt, there's a pain, there's a confusion, there's a fear, and we can't come together and find a solution. Because we keep running the same cycles with different expressions and never really finding a way to value them. To find a way to heal. It's almost like we need an outside voice that knows we need to do that. He also did the unthinkable. He was to see in morality. Where do you see this in verse 16 and 5? He said, I said in my heart, again, I'm going to go all in. I have acquired great wisdom to pass with all those who were over Jerusalem before me. I have the intellect. In my heart, I've had great experience in living in others. He says, so I know it. And it's still came up to me, and then he goes on to say, and I've tried my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and thought. That's in the Bible. I'm going to throw out all conventional wisdom. I'm going to throw out all moral wisdom, whatever it's based in, whatever worldview that's calling people to decency. I'm just going to immerse myself in whatever seems like madness and thought. I'm going to spend until I can't spend anymore. I'm going to indulge until I can't indulge anymore. I'm going to immerse myself. Listen, Solomon had like 700 wives. I think it's starting right here. This idea. What in the world was he thinking? He said, maybe the answer is like left or maybe I just need to pursue a feeling and see what I can do. Where did he go? Verse 18, at the end of it all, for much wisdom, which means knowledge by experience, is much better to conflict than he who increases in knowledge and increases in stuff. He said, I need to know that more than a better idea than before, and I came up with more questions and more answers. We're exploring everything that is done for us. And then it goes, you know, I want you to catch the context. We skip the verse, but very clearly, to help you understand where he ended up and where he started off in this passage, because he's looking back at his experience. 
he pursued all three of those questions. You want to know what his conclusion was? And he pursued all three of those questions. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities. Pointless effort upon pointless effort. Vapor upon vapor. Intangible upon intangible. Waste of time in life upon waste of time in life, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities in case you missed it. All is vanity. Because all three of these pursuits, all three of these questions came out empty, void, and a complete waste of time in life. And, and, and I came up by kissing the wind with more questions and answers, more conflict and meaning, and more uh, insecurity than significance. This is where we end up. And this is where we wrestle as people. I want to tell you something. What do you think about that question? Life is. When I keep reading the book of Corinthians, I don't come to the same conclusion that Solomon came to in verse 2. The conclusion I come to is life is awesome, it's great, and it's totally different. Why? Because there's a fourth question. And we must know when we're in this life experience. At least that question. At least that was probably your whole fun. If you were intellectually interested in it, you were jumping in a lot. You don't do that. And here's the fourth question. It's time to ask you what is asked. And it's this. Will Jesus be there? Will I allow Jesus to be there? Or you see this chapter 2, verse 24. He's on his very long list of stuff and pressure and makes it stuff. He is very mad. But after the retreat of the idea, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person. What's going on in the next one? It's not in the next one unless he says there's nothing better for a person. In any of the other pursuits that I've ever seen, it will work. In the reality, you know, the idea of something new, the cultural upgrade, looking at the natural world, spiritualism, and trying to find my sisters and find meaning, so there's nothing, there's nothing better for a person than that feast of eat and drink and find enjoyment in his corner. This also, I saw, is from the human kind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, God allows this, this struggle, this insignificance in our lives. But he also gives us something. It's the enjoyment of the simple things in life. What I want to understand here is this key phrase from the hand of God. See, to this point, everything Solomon did. Was that his effort, his devotion, his ability, his desires, his passions, his sense of meaning, his sense of significance, his insecurity, his, you know, lack of, of, of peace. But he says, when I step back and I look at what the hand of God wants to give me, what God wants to offer me, 
what ultimately comes from him. And if all allow that to be enough, then the simplest, most mundane things can be great, new, and significant. Realizing today, I did the best I could do at my job, my toil, my work. Today, I did the best I could do. Things are still in the bank, but things are still looking flashy. I know today is significant because I invested my heart in what God has to offer me. And that's freedom. That my identity is four questions that I wrestle with, and every human being wrestles with, He is the answer. He's the source. Who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 
For to the one who sees from God is given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given business of honoring and blessing only the gift to the one who sees him. This also is one who is strong and strong. Who can hold us apart from God? So that we don't miss the point, he takes this thing like a thing for this altar is willing to stand next to the wind. Remember the whole concept he's talking about, he's chasing for his chase after 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 his my efforts to make it happen on my own is vain, and I can only go with it, not control it, or hold it. But for Solomon, when he found reason, he found it in a lifetime of himself. And more than What question do you spend your life asking me for you to ask me? What is your experience? What do you think? Do I encourage you to say, Jesus, I'm going to allow you to be a better man, and then allow you to be for me? Anything else is 